So thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Nas. Um, Nasi Weezy. Nasi Weezy, Lemon Squeezy. Oh shit, he, he's been practicing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously like a lot of the folks from Rebels are definitely going to know who you are. A lot of people in the space know who you are for sure, but it's a big space. So I imagine there's going to be some folks here who maybe haven't heard of you before, don't know your, your past a little bit. So if you want to just give us a quick bio on kind of what you've been up to in tech and in Web3. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so first and foremost, thank you so much for having me. Really a, a pleasure. And, you know, um, I've been waiting for uh, for this conversation for a while. Um, so, yeah, uh, my name is Nassim Adekiwak. I'm a blockchain infrastructure and security expert in Web3. Um, so uh, we can talk a, a little bit more about it, though it's uh, it's it's very confi- not confidential, but like a lot of the things that I'm working on currently are in full stealth mode. Um, but yeah, so started started my own thing recently. Uh, prior to that, I was uh, chief information security officer at Andreessen Horowitz Crypto, uh, one of the major you know VC firm in the space, but also outside of crypto. Um, just working with amazingly talented people within the firm, but also outside of the firm. Um, you know, the entire portfolio that Anderson Horowitz invests in. Uh, I think that like, you know, names like OpenSea and Yuga Labs and, you know, Uniswap and, uh, you know, Layer Zero, so many amazing companies building, you know, tomorrow's infrastructure and experiences, essentially, tomorrow's brands. Um, and I just got the pleasure, essentially, to work with leaders uh, among all of those companies to really, you know, bring... Uh, a Web three that we that we can be proud of essentially, and that will scale, that would be secure, um, and that will have the right flexibility for the future use cases uh, that we keep discovering and, and implementing. Right, so um, that's what I spent uh, a year and a half on um, recently. And prior to that, I was uh, working on the Libra project at Facebook. Uh, so I was. Uh, um, I was relatively early on the wallet side, right? There were like two parts to the Libra project. There was the the Libra slash DM blockchain. Um, And there was the Calibra then kind of renamed to Novi wallet. And so really joined early um, the the, the wallet kind of adventure uh, with my friend Riaz, who was also CTO uh, alongside me at uh, Anderson Horowitz and whom I've spent seven years working very closely with. Um, and so at Facebook, I was mainly responsible for building security infrastructure for the wallet, um, essentially the key management solution that actually would keep all the keys, um, you know, of all the assets that Facebook holds, uh, secure. Um, I'm very excited for, you know, ended up not launching because of regulatory, I would call it thunder um and and oversight uh which you know we need but sometimes it it may go very far um to the to the point where even while building all the you know kind of technical uh requirements essentially uh to 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 launch uh, it, it is sometimes not sufficient so it is pretty much what happened um uh, but got you know like a great deal of great infrastructure there built and and this is actually going to be reused for for things that we're going to see very soon um as part of instagram so i'm actually extremely excited about that uh that you know certainly my code will live on and actually will be used for great experiences used by hopefully billions of people 
Um, prior to that, um, I was essentially, you know, an early engineer at Anchorage. Anchorage, for those who don't know, is one of the main crypto custodian in the space. Um, essentially, what they do is they're a crypto bank that serves other institutions. Um, you know, think VCs, hedge funds, insurance, uh, insurance funds and pension funds and, you know, all types of uh, uh, other banks, uh, all types of institutions, essentially, that uh, have an extremely high bar when it comes to security and compliance, right? So I joined pretty early there. I think I was like employee number 10 um, in engineer number six. And, you know, essentially worked, uh, worked that same thing, kind of building the security backbone and the key management uh, piece there. So very excited that, you know, it's, you know, Anchorage ended up being the first OCC approved, um, you know, federal crypto bank. So they're actually a federal bank uh, that does uh, hold crypto for institutional folks. And, and I couldn't be happier to have participated in this in this journey. Um, prior to that, I was actually working with the, the soon-to-be Anchorage founders at Docker uh, on all things infrastructure and, and security, more kind of like general cloud infrastructure. Um, but yeah, just uh, as you can see, kind of like very, uh, very deep on the infrastructure and, and security side, a lot of key management, a lot of, uh, you know, highly critical software uh, being built. And I spent some time also at Apple in the security team on, on similar problems um, and a, a little bit of um, a competitive security um, uh, scene as well. Awesome. Yeah. So a lot of security, um, obviously in there. I'm curious about what drew you specifically to that side of the space or like, what did you have an early experience with a, a bad security experience or something like it's, it seems like you're very drawn to the security side that there must be something that, that got you there. Yeah. So, um, I'm actually just, a. I love competition. I, I live for competition. And so the thing that was actually very interesting about security is that it takes, it takes two of my kind of uh, very um, natural ways of thinking. The first one is um, I'm competing with someone else. So whether you're the bad guy, you're competing with the person building, you know, ramparts and, and kind of like uh, defenses. Um, but if you're on the builder's side, similarly, you know, you're trying to build and kind of like anticipate the next move of the bad guys, right? You're trying to see what are your weaknesses ahead of uh, the people against you. And so I really love this, this part of um, security, just constantly, you know, you cannot rest essentially because someone else is, has like an incentive essentially to, to, to hack you and just take advantage of your systems. And the other part that is also very interesting is that in security, it is absolutely critical to strive for the absolute kind of like so perfection doesn't exist, but like you need to understand exactly what is the absolute best um, structure and kind of architecture for for a component if you want to make it well. And so I do think that oftentimes when you're thinking about software engineering and people building, you know, any anything, right? Like front end on just like a, a web application or like some infrastructure blockchain. At the end of the day, you want you oftentimes want to focus on features, whereas the incentive for 
security people is to truly understand the perfect kind of like, you know, kind of like how the, 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 the machine should work perfectly. And then from there, um, you know, you, you try to build it, add additional, you know, kind of like defenses in depth at every single layer of the product. And I always love this. It's awesome. So it's almost kind of gamified in your mind, right? So that's hundred percent. That makes hours of coding definitely a lot, a lot more fun when you're thinking about it in, in that way, right? And uh, yeah. I'm I'm a musician, right? So I, I I studied music in school, and I really appreciate music of people like Bach, where it is a perfect puzzle, and if one piece is in the wrong place, it all falls apart, and you go back and find out where that piece is and why it works that way, and is there a way to make it work differently or not? And sometimes there's not, right? And it's so I totally get that, and that's a great way. To, I I definitely hundred percent understand why that that'd be like an attractive side of the the space for you now. So that that's awesome. I always wonder because like you go deep on it. I see your posts, you know, uh, on Twitter sometimes. And like they, you go in depth on this stuff, and I'm like, this is this is crazy. Like you know, he's spending his free time now, like looking into this as well. And uh, you know, even it gets interested when there's a big hack or something like that. You know, my knowledge is, is limited, like greatly in comparison to yours. But even just going back through like EtherScan and trying to see like what happened and what got approved and where did something go wrong and like just seeing like where are these little like holes that people are still finding in you know what seems to be very secure systems, right? That's just one example, but obviously there's a lot of systems, and um, that's awesome. So thanks for that. It's like a super in-depth uh, bio on a lot of what you're doing and what you've done. And, and the, the, the wallet stuff is really interesting. And I think like for Instagram, it's a no brainer, right? Like they are a, a kind of photo experience um, app, or at least that's what they're sold to. They're, they, I mean, they're an advertising platform. Let's get real. But <laughs> um, you know, the wallet side, adding NFT stuff like that, which they're getting super uh, interested in and we're seeing more and more about it. It makes sense that, you know, integrating wallet was kind of the next step. So it's great to see that, you know, probably long hours of coding and, and, and sleepless nights, so are still going to get used and you're going to see a feature or you're going to see something working and going, ah, I made that work. That works because exactly. of me. So that's, that's a good <laughs> feeling for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the newbie, the newbie part was actually pretty crazy. It was like, you know, we were essentially ready to launch like, I don't know, five to seven times. It was actually, you know, like we were ready and, and then it was just like, no, you have to add this other thing. We add it. We're ready. <laughs> this is kind of like this, like multiple thing, but you know, it is, uh, it is what it takes essentially to build a space um, and it's fine. Some of the things that we build are just not going to launch. They're not going to succeed. But at the end of the day, if we push hard enough, you know, these things will 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 come you know, to fruition. So very excited for it. Yeah, consistency, like it's it's true in any space, right? Just like keep coming back, keep taking those at bat so that, and, you know, you will connect on one of them, but it's not always going to happen, right? You're not going to, so when you hit that home run, it's all the times that you didn't, that, that really, you know, that made that happen, right? So that's, exactly. uh, that's awesome. Um, so something that came out recently, I'm sure you're aware of it. Like I said, I'm a very, you know, baseline average guy in this space. I'm not, you know, not anywhere near the kind of, in-depth knowledge you have, but we've been hearing a lot about this ERC-4337 um, that was talked about, I think, in ETH Denver. Um, I know it's been in development for a while. Can you break down just for like the average person, like what does that mean? Is that going to impact us at all? Is that something that we should care about? Or is that just some technical thing that most people can just kind of go about their day and will never really interact with? Yeah, um, it's funny. Actually, uh, I actually made like a, a post about it on, on, on LinkedIn recently. I think that... Um, so... Just to just to provide some context, um, ERC ERC four three three seven is essentially a standardization of the um, interfaces for a set of contract that would 
um, that help essentially um, have smart contracts as wallets, right? A lot of people have been calling that, you know, account abstraction. Um, there are many flavors uh, of account abstraction, but the goal behind um, this, you know, improvement proposal was essentially to um, kind of like standardize the process so that like everyone starts like going in the same direction, right? Similarly to ERC-721 and ERC-1155. And so it was, uh, it's essentially um, standardization of, as I mentioned, process for um, people's wallets to be in the form of on-chain code instead of just off-chain, um, you know, key pair. And so what it provides is essentially a lot of flexibility as to the set of um, features that you want to implement. Um, and that includes, for example, providing uh, gasless transactions for end users. And I'm going to explain a little bit how, how it works at a, a very brief level. Um, it can also enable, you know, transaction batching um, in, yeah, like uh, signature aggregation for uh, multi-person approval, you know, for groups to kind of like come together and just approve something together. Um, but also just, you know, we've been talking a lot about social recovery and kind of like re key recovery, which is absolutely critical to get right in this space. And so, um, yeah, so those are things that can be enabled by this. And one of the misconceptions uh, that like I've, I've read is that those things were not possible before. And uh, the reality is that a lot of people have been building already account abstraction that are pretty much uh, at feature parity with everything that is being advertised for the future of ERC 4337. A lot of people have actually built, you know, uh, this system in a way that is uh, slightly different, but not that much, actually. It was just not standardized. So now the goal is actually to standardize it and have everyone work in the same direction on top of the same standard. So standardization is a big deal. The set of uh, features that are uh, enabled by ERC4337 are important. They're already available. <laughs> That's the thing. And they were already available for quite a bit of time. But now it is just going to be easier for people to integrate with it because there is going to be, you know, a standardization process, just like we're seeing with ERC721, where, you know, you can start making great optimizations with ERC721A. You have different variants, you know, that allow kind of like non-transferable tokens, staking and things that are just um, get everyone to work in the same direction. So that is pretty important. The way it actually works is so... Today, if you're um, creating a transaction, what's going to happen is um, your wallet, you know, and, and some piece of code that like runs either on your mobile, on your ledger, on your computer, in your browser, um, will create a transaction based on, you know, inputs that you provide, whether you want to send, you know, uh, money to someone else, whether you want to interact with a, a blockchain contract. And here, the difference is that instead of taking this transaction and submitting it to the blockchain directly, what's going to happen is that this transaction is actually going to be included in another transaction, which we call meta transaction. Um, and essentially, those meta transaction can actually contain several 
of those kind of, we will call it user transactions. Um, and so we, uh, in the case of like ERC 4337, it's called a user operation. And so those kind of signed messages can be uh, like batches of those can be included as part of meta transaction that are sent to the blockchain to something that is called an entry point that is just going to be the entry point of this um, this like on-chain wallet machine. And then it's going to be sent to each one of the wallets after uh, verification for execution on-chain. And so what happens is that the each one of those transactions can actually be executed just like before and, you know, essentially run uh, against the contract that, that lives on-chain. And the contract that lives on-chain will have the logic of understanding, you know, what you want to do. Do you want to essentially let someone else pay for the gas? Do you want to uh, get several friends to approve a transaction? Um, and there are going to be a lot more things that can be enabled through that. So it's more about having kind of an ecosystem of standardized contract on-chain that will um, that will help enable those features and essentially including each one of the transactions inside, you know, top level transactions that can pay for the gas, that can have the logic of retrying at a moment where like, you know, the gas is probably cheaper, right? Um, and, and a bunch of other use cases that I'm very excited about to have standardized. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it is going to be a, a great improvement for the space to to work together towards those features. That's great. And that seems like, honestly, it solves a lot of those problems that really are still in the way of adoption, right? Like that type of uh, efficiency, um, that type of, you know, plug and play of this one standardization um, across, you know, those those different things that everyone's doing all the time. And then, you know, we saw in the bull run when when Ethereum was at forty five hundred dollars, you know, gas costs start to get, you know, to get to, to be an issue for people, right? So if you want mass adoption, especially on Ethereum mainnet, um, you definitely need things like this that are doing those those little optimizations that are going to make that experience easier for the end user and just easier to adopt for anyone, right? Because it's really hard for any large company to to want to start doing things on chain um, in, you know, in, in large quantities, if we get into that situation again, where, you know, 0.01 is $40 for a transaction. Well, it's like if you're doing hundreds of those a day uh, and if you're a company that's maybe saying, Hey, we're using this to cover the gas for these, you know, for our customers or whatever, like you said, you can have someone else cover it. You know, they don't exactly. also don't want to be bleeding out money to just run transactions. So um, yeah, no, this is, this is great. That's like an amazing uh, explanation. I read a little bit and and it's, I sort of caught bits and pieces of that, but you obviously have a, a much better understanding of it. And obviously standardization um, of these things that I'm sure people you said were already creating was already kind of happening, but really getting a standard set of, of uh, code for that is going to be extremely helpful. And uh, no, that that's awesome. So thanks so much. Um, I think that, that you actually kind of, I have a question I want to ask later, but you kind of got into it a little bit there is because I think this does lead to adoption, right? Like I think there's still some roadblocks in the way of adoption. Um, you know, bureaucratic red tape is one of them that we talked about earlier with, with you know, your project there, large companies, r large, large companies stay away from this space sometimes because of that too, because they know that, you know, they might spend a lot of uh, time and resources on getting folks to develop amazing things and folks like yourself to spend, you know, so much time building code and it works perfectly. And then you, you, you hit that last roadblock of, of, um, 
some of the uh, the red tape that's around this space. And it seems to be the red tape only shows up when we're not in like a, a bull market and things are flying and everyone's making money and it's okay. But as soon as, you know, we hit this financial point where people are losing money, crypto's being shown in a very kind of bad light, once again, kind of mainstream, um, suddenly, you know, large companies are, are moving away. I remember, you know, I'm not a big football guy, but I do watch the Super Bowl once a year. You know, this year there was no mention of crypto. Last year, every commercial was a crypto commercial in some regard, right? So it's just interesting how uh, that ebbs and flows. So I think adoption is something that we always talk about in the space. It's something everyone's hoping for. You know, those of us like me that hope we're early in this space, uh, and we'll, we'll maybe reap the benefits of that one day, um, are hoping for that big adoption to come. And I think it will come. But so I think that solves a lot of the issues um, that are there, but also in your opinion, what are some other like major key factors that are really stopping us from getting to that next level where we want to get to? Yeah, um, that is a great and extremely hard question. I do believe that um, there are different angles to, to, to adoption. Um, yeah. I feel like the first one is certainly kind of regulatory. I do feel like legal compliance and, and regulatory and, and, and policy are just aspects that um, we in the crypto space need to do a much better job at because, you know, if you look at, I think that like a great example actually of, uh, uh, so, I'm going to take a step back. You have like essentially different ways to, um, you know, kind of reg regulate essentially a, a, a space, right? Like you have the um, kind of top down and you have like the bottom up and the top is essentially kind of, you know, various agencies and commissions that observe whatever is being done by the space and then, um, you know, try to find the you know, the, 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 the bad actors as part of it, um, or actors that may be construed as, as bad. And, and they essentially, you know, uh, go at them and, and, and make examples out of them and use that as precedence essentially for, um, you know, creating deals and, um, essentially additional sanctions. That's the, fir the first way. The second way is the space well, there are three, three ways. The, the second one is when regulators and agencies work hand in hand with people in the space to um, essentially find what are the set of best practices. And essentially, everyone works on their side of the house, both kind of like, you know, bill making and, and proposals and, and, and building essentially a law that will enable innovation, but at the same time, uh, you know, define reasonable kind of limits to, to, to where innovation should, should happen uh, in a way that actually protects, you know, consumers. And then there is the, the third version, which is um, everything is bottom up. And I think that the, the bottom up part is essentially an industry proactively coming up with a set of, um, you know, just best practices, uh, self-regulation frameworks, essentially, and just, you know, for example, asset support framework, you know, for, uh, you know, Coinbase and Anchorage and Fireblocks and others, essentially 
do not, uh, you know, they don't support like anything under the sun, right? Like it actually goes through a fairly rigorous asset support framework that ensures that those are not securities and they're actually safe uh, for the uh, for the for for the customers to hold and use, and so on. And so those are the type of things that this space will need to do more and more, essentially, um, to kind of self-regulate because we're seeing a few people who are really interested in, you know, Congress and, and Senate and um, in various agencies to really work closely with the space. Some others aren't. And this is also on us to convince people that um, it is a bet worth taking, right? Like we really need to work with, um, you know, regulators on everything essentially that the space is doing and really just a lot of it is education, you know, at the end of the day, so many people that are, um, that are in the position to make decisions do not have the technical chops essentially to understand what makes sense, even from a technical standpoint, you know, as a requirement, should we enforce things like travel rule, which is a requirement on, you know, like, um, travel rule for those who don't know is essentially, um, you know, uh, requirements for banks um, in the U.S. and whenever uh, you know a, a, a consumer, a, a, sorry, a, essentially a person uh, transacts more than a certain amount, banks are essentially required on both end of the transaction to KYC the other uh, the other party, um, the recipient or the sender uh, at the other bank, and so those are things that, for example, you can't really enforce at the L1 level. Right. Like those are things that some regulators, if they don't have the, 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 the proper and necessary kind of education will require from layer ones. Right. But the goal is not to have that at the layer one. The goal is to have that at one level above. Right. Like the institution mm -hmm. that actually interacts with the network. So this is just like one example of the set of kind of like the road of education that needs to happen for regulators. The second part is we really have to just come as an industry with a set of um, frameworks to self-regulate. And for those who don't know, there is this uh, a great kind of success in, in, in uh, another industry, in the payment industry, um, was the, uh, the PCI, uh, the PCI standards. So essentially the, the, payment uh, industry is, you know, kind of uh, enforces a, a set of requirements in order to um, be able to process or, you know, essentially be a merchant or any anything, any role essentially as part of the payment industry is fairly encoded in terms of uh, and, and very rigorously encoded in terms of um, requirements. And this set of requirements was actually proposed and passed, quote-unquote, by uh, the industry players themselves, right? Like Visa and MasterCards and others that actually came together as an industry and said, well, we know better, uh, so we're essentially going to make the list of requirements, you know, to kind of like regulate the space and um, essentially push that to regulators to have that as just, you know, the set of requirements um, to be, uh, you know, a trusted institution in the space. And so I do believe that this is a major victory that we should all learn from if we can create um, something that looks like PCI uh, for the space 
uh, would be great. Uh, I've had many conversations with various, uh, you know, kind of like top, uh, top folks at top companies in the space, and we're, you know, we're trying to to see what it could look like essentially, uh, to have a, a PCI for for crypto and really enabling, you know, the, the space to have, um, you know, just a just a much better reputation. So I do believe that it's probably going to be path to adoption is going to be mostly that because once you have that, you have you build a trust with the consumer and you build a trust with the regulators and, um, you know, essentially official entities. So very, very excited for that to happen. Um, really believe that this is going to be probably the P0 for the space. Uh, we have a lot of problems with those because everyone wants everything, you know, decentralized and we cannot be my my personal take is that we cannot be too idealistic on those things because at the end of the day you need to answer to someone right like regulators want to talk to someone or a group of people right and uh, and and understand exactly um who is doing what and and you know with what constraints and what do they have in mind whenever they build like what type of controls do they apply because we cannot have the system be you know the wild west either Right, like it, there needs to be, there needs to be law and 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 in order, you know, to a certain degree, essentially, for the space to 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 progress. I'm, uh, you know, I'm in Canada here, and we've had the, the Interact platform uh, in all of our payments for years. And so, when I want to send digital, you know, transaction, it's it's authorized through my bank. They know who I am when I receive it. Even if I'm just selling something used, it's not a problem. I don't get taxed on it or anything. But if I was getting, you know, ten thousand, five thousand, twenty thousand dollars every day from people, then they have a way to look into who are these people, who's the sender, who's the receiver, things like that, right? It seems I know in Europe there's a lot of things like that as well. It's more the U.S. where you have these these Zelle and Cash App and these things where you can still kind of anonymously send money to people. And I mean, obviously that's what they want to, they want to stop, you know, money moving for illegal goods and they want to stop, um, you know, money they can't tax, right? Like that's, that's, that's the big regulatory concern there. But I think you, you really brought up um, three different, you know, realities there. There's a reality where the government um, is against us and doesn't want to work with us, right? Doesn't want to regulate things and they're actively trying to kill the space. There's one where they're coming to the space and saying, hey, we think this is great, but we need to regulate it. Can you guys help us? And the third one, which is the more likely one, is the space coming to them and saying, listen, we understand this appears like the Wild West. We want to formalize it. We want to give you the security and safety that, you know, we know that consumers need to adopt this. And we know that we need to actually have regulation um, in order for that for us to grow and, and to be seen, um, you know, as a serious option going forward with, with payment networks and, and transactions and things like that, right? So I think there's really three and it's a pendulum from, you know, a hard no on, on the, the regulation side of the government is against you all the way to, you know, you coming to them and then somewhere in between, hopefully we get to that middle point. I think we have to start at the end point, like you said, where the space is coming, we're developing these things and bringing them to them. And then eventually you build that trust. And then that's when they'll start to work. You just to expect them to want to do the work to jump in and, and, you know, um, regulate the space because they're good guys and they just want to do it and they see a future is, is not going to happen. Right. So I think that we really have to create that case. And, um, you know, like I said, it, it is, Every time that we go through these cycles um, and bad actors get washed out and, um, you know, we see exchanges go down, we see lots of things happen. Um, I think that this next time around, we will we do have a clearer picture of kind of who the, the blue chip 
um, and, you know, kind of uh, pieces of the space are, right? The different organizations and, and uh, actors in the space. And, and, you know, that way you know who you can, you can bring forward and say, you know what, these are the people we want to represent us. They know what's going on. They have, you know, the right intentions and they're willing to work with, um, you know, the regulator, regulators on this. Because you don't want people, the people who are hardcore decentralization, it's, it's never going to grow with that attitude, right? We have to meet um, in the middle somewhere, I think is the reality. Yeah, and like if you look at actually the the and that's a great summary. But if you look at the the, uh, the numbers, it's actually very interesting because um, U.S. regulated entities that actually, for example, you know, custody digital assets didn't have a problem. There, there, there hasn't been essentially a, a U.S. regulated entity that has you know, like had any accounting issue or um, you know, kind of security law there has been essentially uh nothing but great work that has been done in the u.s and so there needs to be some form of um uh there needs some there needs to be some form of recognition of that right by the u.s um government and 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 various you know agencies that are you know trying to 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 provide some oversight it is very clear that regulations work Right. But at the end of the day, right now, um, there hasn't been as much clarity on a lot of things. Um, but for the for the for the for the for the companies that try to operate per the same essentially kind of standard as the one that are already out there for digital assets specifically, but also try to apply the standards from the traditional banking industry, we're actually seeing you know, great results with those, right? Like we're, we're, we understand that regulations are good because we've seen very recently what it hap- what happens when people kind of actually, you know, get just right outside of the US, operate from there and essentially, you know, try to try to dodge essentially uh, the, um, do the bare minimum when it comes to regulations. And so, yeah, there will be setbacks, there will be, you know, FTXs that just you know, essentially uh, hurt the entire space and hurt, um, you know, countless uh, hours of uh, essentially manpower uh, on, on building, you know, this this entire space, uh, both on the technical side, but also a lot of on the non-technical, as I mentioned. And so, yeah, it, it is, uh, we are we are against a lot of things. We are against, you know, kind of like a traditional banking industry that may not be as receptive to the set of things that we're, uh, trying to implement and, and change essentially in the in the status quo we're also up against um you know uh, uh, kind of like a, a lack of um expertise essentially from regulators on what we're trying to achieve and we're also up against a lot of you know malicious actors uh, that will try to take advantage of you know the space as a whole and so we have to essentially fight all those threats at the same time uh and and you know we 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 have to succeed there is no there's no other choice and i think that you know the reality there you touched on some some of the big names that we've all heard of over the last year you know that ftx and things like that is that um it's not the medium that's the problem right i think that's that's what we need to make clear is it's like like crypto itself is just code there's nothing wrong with the code it's not evil it doesn't rip people off right it's people it's greed it's the same problem we have with regular you know like 
the Bernie Madoffs of the world, right? Like when he pulled his scam, people didn't blame U.S. currency. They blamed him. But for some reason, you know, this latest FTX thing, they start blaming the, the whole crypto, you know, space, uh, at least on the mainstream side. And like, it's just not true, right? Like, uh, so that's definitely something that um, I was thinking about. And then also just to change gears a little bit, just uh, just trying to think of things that are happening that are really changing the space um, in, in big ways, I think, um, is we do have this marketplace wars going on right now, right? So there's really, there's a bunch of them out there. We know that, but there's two big ones um, that are kind of going head to head right now. They're doing a lot of interesting things around their own fees, around creator fees. Um, I do want to get into Rebels a little bit with you after, but just as someone who is a founder who is running, you know, a project and there's definitely costs associated with that, that royalties definitely help with. Um, obviously they help more when you have a really high, you know, floor price and your, your volume is crazy, but that's not, you know, 99% of projects, that's not the case right now but even then um it is a way to bring in a little bit of revenue for the project just to keep things afloat i think even just the, the costs of running servers and things like that right so um how do you feel about this removal of royalties do you think it's kind of are they doing it temporarily is it just is it just kind of a victim of this war that's happening or do you think this is going to be the way forward and and how do you really expect to see um people still want to build things right um uh, or do you think that we're going to wash out a lot of low quality builders this way and we're only going to have people that are bringing real utility because they can't rely on that secondary royalty market to you know line their pockets and or run their project? Yeah, that's a, that's a probably one of the most interesting kind of dilemmas and challenges that, I, that I've seen within the space. Um, I used to have many opinions about that. Um, I guess like I'm, uh, it, the reality is that, you know, and, and just like everywhere, the market is going to do what the market is going to do, right? And and what we can do is essentially just all adapt, uh, regardless of our role, right? Like whether you are working as a community manager, whether you are, you know, starting an NFT project, whether you are um, a bigger sized company that wants to, you know, uh, start an NFT strategy, um, or whether you were, uh, you know, kind of a, a collector, there are just so many different things that, um, you know, that, that, that can happen. So with, you know, the, the, the royalty war, I will call it, um, I think that for the longest time, honestly, I really did believe that it was a very strong incentive alignment tool that we had essentially to you know get projects and, and and brands essentially to develop value for holders um over time essentially for the for the same kind of assets um and kind of like same collectibles and when i mean value i actually mean you know experiences i'm talking about actually building additional experiences building you know um, access to digital and physical experiences and uh, in, in, in various uh, various shape or forms, whether we're talking about gaming, whether we're talking about, you know, just uh, having um, access to events and, and other things. And so from that standpoint, I do feel like it is a great tool. We cannot enforce royalties. That's, I mean, you can technically do a few things to 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 enforce them but then you're kind of hindering the uh, the the user experience and a lot of other things at the end of the day if they cannot easily be enforced 
the reality is that, you know, there's going to be kind of this race over enough, a long enough period of time, there's going to be this race essentially to, um, you know, to get them to zero uh, for the vast majority of the project because the 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 connection, like it, it's almost like if it if you cannot enforce them, then this is you volunteering essentially to kind of like donate, right? To to in a sense to the to the project, and so from that standpoint. I really do believe that um, the vast majority of the space is not gonna donate, quote unquote, um, to to kind of uh, um, help kind of like continue uh, building infrastructure and, and experiences around you know those uh, the same digital assets, and so we're gonna see we're just gonna see a shift, I believe, towards we're already seeing a lot of primary sales, but I do believe that we're gonna see a lot more of them for any additional feature right? It is going to be, you're not going to be in a position where you get essentially kind of, you know, uh, let's say kind of like token A, and you get kind of all the features in the future associated to this one, uh, essentially, you know, free. Um, they're just going to be probably just uh, the the in-app purchase kind of equivalent for NFTs. And this is kind of like how I see it evolve. Um, because at the end of the day, there needs to be some form of like recurring costs. I do believe that a lot of people, you know, and, and, and for Ebols as well, people are just asking like, how are the funds used, etc. And like, <clears throat> very few people understand that if you want to have it structured as a business to actually have, you know, uh, uh, uh people with, you know, uh, contracts and like, having kind of like lawyers that help you maintain your, your incorporation. And sometimes you want to change a few things. Um, if you want to like, you know, write, like essentially implement uh, terms and, and, and services agreements. There are just like a ton of different things, just legal, technical, obviously as well. Like, you know, various servers and, and building any form of infrastructure, uh, whether that's web app or, you know, kind of like deep in, deeper in the back end. Um, experiences as well. And so at the end of the day, those costs, like people need to understand that projects like NFT projects are businesses, right? That that need to operate in a profitable way. And so from that standpoint, there will need to be additional revenue stream. I do believe that it should not be NFT centric. Like no company in the world should like, just be NFT centric. I, I, um, I strongly believe that the vast majority of the companies, um, like every, any company actually, should have a revenue model that actually works without the uh, the NFTs. And NFTs are just an enabler to provide additional interoperability. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you look at kind of Counter Strike skins, right, like. It works because you build an ecosystem, you have like some sort of assets that work in this ecosystem, right? But they're not NFTs. And the reason why they're not NFTs is that the company doesn't need or doesn't want to make them interoperable, right? And to allow other people to kind of like take it outside of the ecosystem and just do more with them. And that is fine, right? But like the ecosystem should be strong enough so that like people are drawn to it regardless of the structure and the kind of like limits that the uh, that the assets uh, have.
So that's kind of like how I think about it. Um, right now, we're seeing a, a very big rush uh, towards uh, from Blur uh, specifically to kind of, you know, it's a, it's a race to like raising the volume and the volume is obtained by trading. So there is kind of like over financialization essentially that is, that is happening across the board. So I personally very much dislike it because I, I have a very different vision on like how, um, how NFTs like will progress. And I do believe that the vast majority of the time, like NFT should just like Starbucks did, should not be advertised as such. Like the if the user doesn't even know that it is an NFT behind the scene, then there is, you know, kind of like less psychological effect around like, you know, speculation on, on, on the asset. And that's something that I'm actually very interested in because at the end of the day, like, you know, 30, 40 years from now, if we want the, the, the technology to succeed, it is going to be about like the interesting kind of, you know, value that you get out of it from an experience standpoint and, um, you know, the use cases that are unlocked for you as a, as an end user. So yeah, all that to say that I, I admire what OpenSea was trying to, to do or is continuing trying to do. At the end of the day, right now, the incentives are, I feel like not as aligned because the, 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 the marketplaces want to push their own volume and to make kind of like a cut on this volume. Um, and so trading is the, the most important thing for them, regardless of royalties. They're not make, they don't make money when the, the, the creator makes money. And that's, that's what, what I'm trying to, to get to. They make money when, when there is volume, when there is trading. And so I do believe that if, the, 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 if we start getting like a marketplace, for example, that, is, that takes a cut only of on-chain royalties, then there is like an incentive alignment between between the two. But until then, I do believe that the, the spaces um, will will run to zero. Uh, in terms of royalties, not uh, like a zero as a whole. <laughs> Good clarification. And we'll see, um, you know, this volume that we've been seeing, a lot of it is the same few wallets really just moving money around, kind of wash trading, especially because the fees are low. You know, there's obviously the blur farmers out there for airdrops right now. Although I think continuous airdrops and literally giving away money is not going to be a great sustainable long-term business plan. Um, so something, you know, you really have to, I know they're trying to take take, you know, ownership uh, of the the top spot in the space. And, you know, disruptors always do that. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't though, right? So it is a, a limited approach. I'm not even sure like who's on the, who's on the, 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 the buy side for the, for the blur token. Um, because the way I see it is that you essentially have a lot of people who are farming the token and then just selling as soon as they get it. And like they might, they might sell like a portion of it and keep the rest like hoping that like it will go up. But like at the end of the day, I'm not too sure like who's on the buy side of of the blur token. That's the thing that it, that was always curious. I, I was looking when it launched because I was very curious. I'm like, how is the price going up? Because my experience when you drop people free money is that they sell immediately and that, that token goes to zero. And I was actually seeing additional liquidity being added, uh, $20,000, $50,000 from them consistently throughout the day, um, which was kind of, I think, making the price go up, which then led some folks to maybe buy in thinking that they were seeing some price appreci appreciation, some interest. So I, I think it was sort of 
a little bit of a false, um, you know, pump for lack of a better term mm. um, there because they're, they're adding liquidity on their side. That's not people investing in. You're, you're just adding more liquidity to the pile, right? So um, it was, um, yeah, it was a little bit interesting. And they weren't minting more tokens as a result, right? It was just an ad liquidity transaction. I, and I saw it every, every 10, 20 transactions because I'm a nerd and I like to watch them go by and figure out what, so try and see what's really <laughs> happening, right? Um, and yeah, I think that, you know, you really hit on a few things. You know, these these drops where people were paying, you know, 0 0.08, 0 0.1, 0 0.12 for an NFT, a Genesis NFT with promises of later on they're going to get XYZ. And, you know, all these airdrops were happening. And two years ago, um, that was no problem, right? When there was lots of money going around like that, that 7.5% or 5% that people were getting on hundreds and hundreds of ETH uh, of volume a day for some projects, oh, you know, was not an issue for them to do all these airdrops. But now, you know, we got to this point when we really hit, um, you know, started to hit bottom. We're still going to keep going. Um, but people started doing these free mints, free mints, but really high royalties, right? And we saw a few like Goblin Town and a few of those DGen plays um, really like pump crazy volume, go to the multi multiple Ethereum floor, you know, six ETH floor or something like that. Um, and that scene, you know, people thought, okay, we can sustain this way. We can do free mints and we can have crazy um, secondary volume and, and we'll live off the royalties. Um, but now that's taken away as well too. And, and it's crazy to see in a short time span, really um, people, if someone watches something for like 0 0.02 or 0 0.01 mint, people don't, People won't even touch it sometimes. It has to be a free mint or it has to be a manifold uh, open edition before they'll touch it, right? It's very, it's crazy how the attitudes have changed, but it's like if people are creating things for free um, and then you want them to drop you more things, but you don't want to pay royalties, like it, it doesn't make sense, right? Something has to give. Um, and I do, I do believe that this is going to wash out a lot of the low quality builders in the space, right? And people who have a real plan, who are running a real profitable business you know, like you said, minus the NFTs, um, those are the folks who are going to be able to make things happen. And I think that um, in other spaces, like obviously gaming is a big space that lots of folks um, in our space are, are into as well. And gamers have pretty much universally said for a long time, they hate NFTs, right? And I think the average gamer who's not into crypto, not into NFTs, what they see is they see the same news stories everyone sees. They see people paying a million dollars for a picture of a monkey and they think it's stupid. Or they see people who are on Instagram or on Twitter and they're showing off their Ferrari and, you know, and they have the, their board ape is their picture. And I love, I think the board apes are cool personally, like the art's cool, but like, I'm just saying people see that and if they're not in this space, they're like, you know, basically for lack of a better term, fuck that guy. I don't want to be any part of that. So when they hear the term NFTs, they don't want to touch it. Right. And I think that games could really benefit greatly by using this technology. And I think like you said, it's important that they're using it without even knowing they're using it. It just needs to be the backbone of what's going on. And I think that is that, that is that peak of adoption, right? Is when people are using this tech and they don't know they're using this tech, then we've made it right. When it's, it's no longer being classified as, Oh, you're into NFTs. It's like, no, you're into going to concerts. So you're using ticket and they're using NFTs and you don't know it, right? Like I'm not saying they are, but they might be one day, right? So can, can you imagine it like at the end of the day, you know, NFT is just a container for information, right? Like you're just kind of um, at the like individual individual token level, you're just like storing some metadata, right? That is just going to describe whatever it is that you hold. And then you have this kind of like two column, you know, list of, well, token IDX is going to have like owner Y, right? And you just have like this, this mapping and, and, and that's pretty much what it is. Can you imagine that like people would like speculate the same way on like, wow, I received like a TCP packet or a UDP packet or like, you know, like 
ICMP that it, it it sounds exactly the same to me. It's like it is like I see it really as yeah a medium, a protocol, a container, and like an envelope right around essentially some data. And the the it is really clearly not sustainable, right? Like the 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 value of emails. <clears throat> sorry, the value of emails is the ability to communicate with each other, right? And having kind of like a track record of like this person sent that in this order and like this is this thread, this is this other thread, this is this conversation and so on. NFTs are no different. And at the end of the day, like like a, an email conversation is not valuable because like you got it in a certain envelope, with, like, you know, instead of another. And so I really do see NFTs the same way. Like what matters at, at the end of the day is what they enable, the experience. And so, no, I'm very excited for a lot of things that are that are going to happen. We're missing a lot of even very basic blocks for NFTs to, to actually take on more use cases. You know, if you think about the set of things that we interact with in the digital world, so much of it is encrypted, for example, right? Encryption for NFT is something that, you know, everyone is really very much struggling with. You should have kind of like private NFTs that should be sent, uh, you know, that could kind of carry different types of information and other things. And so, yeah, I, I really do believe that we're, we're very much at the beginning. Uh, at the end of the day, it is probably going to be uh, hidden. The vast majority of it is going to be hidden to the end user. And that's, that's great. Like, a, that's perfectly fine. Um, because what matters at the end of the day is the the experience. Mm -hmm. And I think about it very much because I'm I'm uh, 35, so I've been around for a bit, like before the internet. And like I think about it that you know we use so many things right now in our day to day life. And I mean, not me and you, but maybe folks who are not technical at all. You know, and they don't even realize when they're using the internet and when they're not like, when is it on device? When is it something where they're being connected? Right. And that's the, like, so the, you know, the internet itself has become this sort of like just thing that exists that people don't think about. And it was something that in the early nineties, you know, when my dad was setting up our home computer and we were arguing about, uh, you know, getting IP addresses and stuff with the dial up company to get our internet set up. Like it was very difficult to use, right. It's very much reflective of the space we're in now if I tell a friend, you know, hey, go get into NFTs, that means nothing to them, right? They don't know how to go and set up a, you know, a, a MetaMask on their computer and they don't know how to get, you know, actual funds into that wallet. They don't know how to create, um, you know, transactions to buy. Like, it, it seems simple to us because we do it every day, but like the average person is still like, what do I do, right? They're going to have to watch 10 YouTube videos and they're probably still going to get rugged for all their money, right? Like, um, so I think when it is something that is quintessential and it's just, it just happens, it just works it's just part of everyday life that's when we know that that technology has really made it right and like i said people like when our wi-fi goes out and my wife you know goes to do something and she can't do it and i have to explain well no like that's pulling from somewhere right it's not on your phone right so that's that's the thing right it's like it's people don't even think about it at this point and i think that's that's when you know you've hit that that real point of adoption where it is just a, a fabric of the background of something you use right and i think that's what nfts um, can become things like driver's licenses and that I know some there's some uh, exploration there on, on Apple's side in the states uh, doing it a few different states but I think things like that right we shouldn't be carrying little plastic cards around still in 2023 it seems insane right there's there should be a better technical like we have a phone like there should be a, a way to utilize that to our advantage in all aspects I shouldn't need to carry my, my wallet around with little plastic cards that I've been using for 20 years or they've been in use for a hundred years right it's, it's crazy so um, so Sort of touching on that um, as well, 
bringing bringing value as a creator. I you know we have seen on, on the the psychedelics anonymous side they've now created this this new dawn system where you can kind of trade swap. I'm curious on your thoughts of that. Um, obviously, it's it's a great way to have some revenue um, through charging to do that, and then also it does create. I think a bit of an issue with rarity for the collectors and for the speculators out there, because we did see a, a big effect to their floor price of their Genesis NFT once people could start making exactly what they had, right? So having a certain set of traits was no longer something I had to go and pay five or six times the floor price for, because I could really go and and piece it together myself, right? And I think that's what that's what we saw that effect there. But how do you feel about you know projects doing things like that? Um, you know, would Rebels ever do something like that? I know it probably requires you to recode the whole thing, but I'm just curious uh, what you think about about that system. I'm a very big fan of New Dawn. Uh, I'm very close to um, to Voltura, by the way. Uh, we we call often and uh, have a lot of chats. Uh, I'm a very big fan. Um, it's uh, I do believe that the one of the measurements for success for NFTs is the number of times that they're being used before being sold. Um, and flow price actually for me is the worst metric possible because you're just creating kind of like a artificial entry bar, you know, to, for, for people to, to, to join. And like, it only works like thinking about the floor price only works if you're trying to build kind of like a like private club, right, which is not the case for PA, which is not the case for Rebels. That, that's not, you know, we're not in the in the business of creating just like close, you know, like uh, close the uh, clubs. And so from, from our standpoint, I do believe that uh, Volt and I just like think extremely similarly that just NFTs need to be used, right? And like other, otherwise there is no point. And the speculation part is... Um, is only present because the experience is not there. If you were to actually like be able to just use them, you wouldn't think as much. You can think like a little bit about it, but like you wouldn't think as much about it, right? Like if you think about skins for Counter Strike, it, like I'm, I, I like just like referring to that. Like you, you think about it, like you're happy that you got your thing, but at the end of the day, you wouldn't play the game if you did not enjoy it but you still have like a good skin, right? Like the end of the day, you're not in the game to just purely flex. You're there to enjoy, you're there to compete, you're there to beat other people, you're there to release attention from, a, you know, like a, a rough day. And so I do believe that at the end of the day, anything that pushes in this kind of direction of make NFTs usable, instead of simply kind of like static things is a huge success. Um, there are different ways to do it. There is uh, there is this one where you actually take kind of like a very explicit kind of like customization approach to it. And there are different ways to do it. You can have something that is ad only, almost kind of like an app and only uh, a thing where, you know, um, for example, for Rebels, it was like mostly patches. One thing that like, you know, we started, we started like very early trying to think through is like, what if we, you know, modified assets and colors, etc. And like the, 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 
the complexity there is mostly technical. Like we can, uh, like I can, I can do it, and I, I showed it, for example, as a demo for for the community that like I can do it on the server, but just like building the infrastructure around it and just like maintaining it is like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, um, because like re-rendering constantly just costs a lot of money, and so I do believe that it's something that is probably going to work best for um, either like fully two D projects or things that are closer to you know psychedelics anonymous which is kind of like pre-rendered assets that are like put in front of each other well like the light is not going to be nat as natural but you're still going to have this kind of like 3d feeling that is obviously not extremely realistic but it's like great enough so that like you can kind of like play with those different kind of layers of pre-rendered assets and colors so uh, all that to say that i love the the concept i'm a very big fan of uh vault uh you know, every every time that I can help, I, I try. Um, and every time that I will be able to help, I will try. At the end of the day, speculation for the space is... The, 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 the thing that is actually very interesting about this one is that the vast majority of the time, the assets that... like Or at least kind of like the, the tokens that have a roadmap associated to them, whenever the roadmap like milestone is executed on, it actually goes down. And the reason for this is there is this constant kind of like speculation for like, it is going to go up. And then you realize that like, you know, it is not. And so it actually goes down because there is no like really necessary, like you, you as a holder is the, 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 the person that like a, a project kind of, founder is trying to cater to not the next person necessarily right in some cases that that is the case but in some of the cases like you're the person that i'm trying to satisfy and so i'm not trying to create like another entry point for someone to 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 come and just like buy something from you and so i do think that you know something like new dawn is so first and foremost was advertising for the longest time is something that like you know was talked about and um i'm very glad that like this is being released the the floor is is what it is and you know holders are going to do what they're going to do at the end of the day if you're not willing to use your nft then that means that you know you're in just for the wrong reasons and so as a result like I'm, i i don't see how uh you know kind of like putting in place some form of like you know pyramid shaped <laughs> businesses is really going to help right so I, I, I really I really feel very strongly about that and, and that this is the kind of infrastructure that will get the space to the next step. Awesome. Yeah. And like for myself, I've been doing a lot of experimenting. I really want to launch something just for fun. Like I'm not trying to run a business, just literally a fun project. Oh, you should. And uh, it's good. How can I help? Yeah, I think you'll be surprised. It's not going to be anything that great. But, you know, I'm not a great visual artist. Like I play music. I can do a lot of things artistic, but it's visual art and drawing. Not great at it. But I started exploring a little bit with even just adding, you know, things to some of my NFTs I, I have. Right. Or or taking pieces and layers and, and building them and changing things. And on a 2D image, it is really simple to do. Right. Um, and then I started working. Working. I have a friend who's a great 3D artist and he does amazing things in Blender that blow my mind. And I think I sent you one of his examples the other day. And um, I was like, you know what? Let's check out Blender. It's free. I can download it. Like, let me see. And I started, first of all, I couldn't make anything do anything. I had to watch a, a tutorial to learn how to like do 
step one, uh, which was like, okay, I'm already probably too far in here for myself. <laughs> and then I started watching probably the same, you know, make a donut uh, tutorial that everyone's watched on YouTube. There's a guy who releases it. And it's really good. It's really detailed. He updates it every year. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to that guy. <laughs> yeah, I did it. I, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shy away from it. Yeah, yeah. No, shout out to that guy. I don't want to, uh, I don't remember his name, but yeah. And I'm like, this is friggin' hard. And then you start playing around with the lights and stuff like that. And then I think about something like Rebels and I'm like, it's clearly made in that that 3D space with lighting. And if you look at the Rebels and you see how the light hits them and how different hats and different materials react, right? It's not something where you can then just take that 3D element that's been, you know, obviously flattened and start pulling layers apart and moving them around because it doesn't look right, right? Exactly. So I think that's what people need to understand. I think for anyone who doesn't understand that, download Blender, lose your mind for a couple hours and you'll quickly understand why it's very, very difficult. <laughs> um, so, and I think that, yeah, we have seen on the P and I'm a PA holder as well. And I love the art and uh, the community is great and what, what Volt's doing. Um, and you know, I think there are, it is that pre-rendered. It is all sort of the same light source. Um, it is a lot easier and it looks good. Like it look, it does work well on their, on their collection too. Right. Um, but yeah, for, for someone like me, who's a collector and other collectors out there, sometimes you have like, Oh, I absolutely love you know, this, this character in this collection that I have, but I just wish the background was blue or something. And to be able to actually make that change, um, on your actual token, obviously I can go into procreate on my iPad and do it very quickly. But if I want it to actually look like that way, um, you know, uh, on, on the actual, uh, token itself, when I pull up, uh, open C uh, and it pulls that art and it's been changed, like that's, that's awesome, right? So I think that there is a uh, there is probably a future for that. I think it does take away from some of those folks who were hoping to get rich on that they held, you know, the the ape with the golden laser beam, you know, hat, you know, these pe these crazy uh, traits that get out there in some of these uh, some of these collections that people are like, it doesn't even look good. It's just that it's super rare, so people are paying it <laughs> crazy money for them. Um, so I think it t it does take away from that. I know that you're not a guy who really you know loves the the speculative nature of the space, and like you've mentioned very publicly multiple times that you can't wait for that that part of it to end. And uh, I don't know if it'll ever fully end, but I think we're seeing it start to die out. And I think that um, you know it, it will really wash out some of the low quality stuff. I'm a, it's actually pretty interesting because I, I actually felt like recently the it was actually the opposite. So it's kind of like relative to this the kind of like size of the, the, the stuff that was being put out there. I was actually seeing kind of like the lower quality stuff raise and actually the um, and actually kind of like the and, and essentially kind of like because of the royalty thing, just like people just spamming like even more kind of like primary drops and then the technology side like the vast majority of the people are just like heads down creating things and just like keeping them in store uh for the you know essentially the 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 next uptick in the in the market and so i do personally feel like the 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 the, the, the quality kept going down but it's it might just be that like i'm seeing kind of like engineers and, and, and builders just being qu more quiet and, 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 and that's fine, but it's more kind of like relative to the amount of signals that I used to get now, like the, the, the kind of like build, like people shipping is like a very innovative stuff is actually going down compared to like, um, the, the, the rest. Yeah. And I think that it depends on what you're presenting. It is right. Like for instance, like what I'm creating is literally just, something that I drew that's fun and that's going to be like a free or very low cost thing to mint. That's like, 
the whole idea. It's not being presented as there's utility, there's a roadmap. It's like, this is something fun I want to do. More an experiment for me of, of like a generative collection and how that works and learning a little bit on the, the contract side for that, right? So, um, and, and I think if you launch something and it's just for fun and you say it's just for fun, great. But also don't expect it to do amazing things and make you rich, right? And and in people that are holding it, the same thing, right? So, um, but and there's also like the hardcore art side, right? There's a lot of people, and, and I've learned a lot about that space. The people who are you know artists in this space who they only release you know one of ones, and they they people buy them for you know twenty Ethereum in a bid and things like that, right? So we we have you know we're seeing that as well, and those are also the people who are all usually most likely going to click yes and add creator royalties when they sell or if they sell, right? So I think that we are seeing these little different um, you know compartmentalize pieces of the space and sometimes they they uh, interact and sometimes they don't right and sometimes people are are launching something um i'm not trying to plug other things i hold here because there's definitely you know there's no big uh advantage to this one for me but um ai objects i don't know if you've seen it but like they did a uh it's a basically a ten thousand piece and all it was was a creator pass and you used it to log in and we all picked a shoe i'm a sneakerhead so you picked the shoe um, and you picked a color and you were able to actually change it a bit. It was a really cool interface. And they went from 10,000 and we voted as a community, voted, voted, voted. So you're using your tokens to vote, right? Down to one. And then they were actually producing the shoe that we all chose. So it's, it's just a, it was a community collaborative, you know, curation um, of a product. And I'm like, that's really cool and innovative. And you know, it, it, I'm, it's horrendously down in price, but it's a really fun experience. So I don't care. Right. And, and, you know, people are active in that server and they're excited and they went to art Basel and they, they 3d printed the top, um, uh, 30 uh shoes at the time that was our top 30 that we were narrowing it down from and they're doing a lot of cool things right and like so that's that's fun and exciting and for me it, you know it was absolutely not about trying to flip it for any financial gain but you know they're going to keep making products that way and as someone who is i i'm into sneakers i'm into you know certain types of fashion and stuff to a degree and i'm into things i like products right it's cool to be part of that project um and be able to have a say in something like that so i think that we'll see more and more things like that where I'm happy to get excited to just continue to hold that in my wallet and participate in that project. And I don't care if it ever becomes valuable or not, because to me, the value is that experience, the people I connect with, right? Things like that. I'm not trying to plug this project. I'm just saying it's cool. I think those are the sort of things that you'll see people start to move towards, you know, when the speculative side is not, you know, the big moneymaker in the space. You will people have people that are there for the right reasons in those projects and you won't get people destroying projects, you know, and fudding them and going crazy on Twitter um, when they're there for the wrong reasons, right? Yeah, I actually have like a question on this because the thing that was uh, that was very interesting to me is um, so now I would say that kind of, you know, the, the NFT craze uh, started quite a while ago, right? It's, it's what, like a year and a half almost? Uh, I think like end of 2021, um, like October, uh, that it started, things started to, yeah, like really, really started to pick up like pretty, pretty crazy. Um, and the part that is actually interesting is that a lot of, a lot of projects were essentially promising tons of different things, a metaverse, a set of games, experiences, IRL, digital jobs, whatever, um, in physical objects, etc. And the reality is that today, the people who are today kind of like seeing the result of like those things that either didn't happen or happened, but actually like no one cares, 
I actually feel like quite a bit of stuff was released from various projects, but actually no one cared because the reality is that people just don't spend their time working on random kind of like indie, you know, games. Like that's the reality. People don't spend their times in kind of online chat rooms where they get to see like other people moving around. Like that was called Second Life and I don't think it really worked. Um, and so, I mean, it worked, but like just for a time, right? And and people are just not on Second Life these days because it there there are cool things to build on like you know minecraft and others but at the end of the day the vast majority of the games um that people want to play require two things the first one is like just a rock solid ip with uh you know a story sometimes a franchise etc but also just an immense amount of capital an immense amount of capital people don't understand that gaming studios when they want when they get created they actually like shop around for funding you know in the like 50 100 million dollar you know because this is this is essentially kind of like the, the amount of cost that it requires to build you know like a decent size like a like a decent quality uh game that will actually get people hooked onto and just actually be able to uh, make them want to play the next one or at least like get them excited about this one and, and kind of leverage in-app purchases, etc. So I don't know. The way I, I see it is that this space definitely understands as a whole that whatever is promised, whether that's, you know, like, the, I mean, the anything that is like outside of like the top five to 10 kind of NFT projects uh, in terms of, you know, revenue, is not going to ship something that is satisfactory because the there is kind of like a minimum kind of entry bar in terms of costs for to to produce like a set of things that make sense uh, for for people and that is just not there yet so yeah I, I i i feel pretty strongly about this i really think that at the end of the day the 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 the, the spells the, the space will have to evolve in a way that kind of washes out kind of anything that is like promises on you know like gigantic ecosystems and games etc a lot of like there will be games and there will be ecosystems i'm not saying that some of them might not succeed in, in becoming great things but it should not be kind of the, the 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 things that you look at for success right like harry potter right like was started by someone just like writing a few books and then was published people got you know, like really loved it and reconnected with the vast majority of the population and then games and movies and other things and, and, and an entire franchise. And it's great. Right. But like at the end of the day, those things take like a decade and it's just like one in, you know, one in a million books that really kind of like triggers this kind of enthusiasm. So, um, it will be the same for NFTs and one in a million kind of NFT project will actually get there and, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. Uh, but it should not be the default expectation because the default expectation is that it is just going to be, you know, the equivalent of a t-shirt, like a digital t-shirt and it's fine. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I love that you, you managed to get Harry Potter in there. I'm, 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 you, you made it work. I love it. Uh, but you know, I think that 
we're you know what people don't realize is yeah that there there is a lot of young people in this space who don't understand the cost of some of these things. Um, you know something like you know I'm going to use Yuga as an example because they are probably three or four of those top five projects you're talking about is all owned by them, right? And they're getting crazy royalties. And I looked at their sewer pass for their Dookie Dash game, and I'm like, they made four million dollars in royalties in one month on a free airdrop, right? Like when you're making that kind of money, you can do things like reskin a 10 year old game and then release it. Right. Like, so, um, and even that probably had some costs, but people don't realize, you know, I'm not a big gamer actually, which makes me kind of an outsider because a lot of folks in this space are, but you know, I used to skateboard when I was younger. I love EA skate. It was one of my favorite games and they stopped making it for 10, 12 years. And I was like, man, I wish they would just make a new one. And then, you know, EA just basically came out and said like, we can make Madden every year or whatever, you know, soccer game or whatever game they have. And it's like almost exactly the same game um, with some tweaks and it makes a zillion dollars and we can make a brand new bespoke uh, EA skate game with mapping entirely new cities and stuff like that. And it costs a zillion dollars and it makes next to nothing because the market for that is not the same as a Madden game, you know, or as a FIFA game or whatever, right? So I think people sometimes... And especially I have met a lot of people in the space who are maybe a little more naive um, on the, the financial side of what it costs to do these things. They don't realize that like, you know, the things that seem simple to you or the things you see a render for, like, you know, the render took somebody months and cost tens of thousands of dollars. And to actually make the thing that you think that render is, you know, is that game or whatever will take hundreds of millions of dollars, right? And huge risk by those investors to do that. And they're not going to do it unless you have, you know, Mario IP or something or Harry Potter IP or whatever it is. Um, because it's just like people aren't dumb. No one's handing out hundred million dollar checks, um, you know, based on your NFT that you made in your mom's basement or whatever, right? Like people don't realize that. Yeah, no, the, the, this part is actually pretty insane. I think that the, I had this conversation so many times actually in the Rebels Discord, um, you know, and, and and people just not understanding the cost of things. Just they, they just don't get it, you know. And I think that like a lot of it comes from the fact that very few people have done it themselves, uh, just like creating a business in general, but specifically also like things that, um, you know, there are kind of like different categories in terms of like quality of artwork and Hopefully, you know, you can you can put like rebels in terms of like pure artwork in the same, I would say, like in the same category at like uh, Genesis and a, a couple others. Um, and, you, you know, for example, I would assume that, you know, something like Izu or like Genesis probably took on average at least, you know, five months of like an entire team to 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 build um in the case of like genesis i believe that it was actually like four years of like a single person just like building you know all the generative framework for um for Houdini. but at the end of the day it's like it's still just such an amount like such a gigantic amount of time i think that like just people don't realize you know and you know um if you take like the salary of like a great uh kind of business person then you take like the, the, the salaries of like an entire kind of, you know, designer team that is actually uh, pretty skilled. And then you take kind of like the rendering cost and you take kind of, you know, you add a bunch of different things essentially because there are like trials and errors and like there are a lot of things that are not going to make it. Um, and so I think that very few people understand that like those things cost like hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Like even... So, for example, you know, for for rebels, like I, I I didn't pay myself, and 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 Sass didn't pay himself either. But like, 
if we were to pay ourselves with like the rate that we have for like our day jobs, like like the mint as a whole would not be sufficient at all to co cover these things. And I think that like very few people kind of like understand that, um, you know, they're like just operational costs that are crazy, like community management, right? Like you have a team that like is really going to help build an entire community. And you have, you know, in our case, we had a gigantic team. We had like over 20 people, right? Like you have over 20 people um, that are like in very high demand because it was kind of like everyone wanted, you know, great community managers. So what do you do? You know, and essentially you have like 20 people on payroll for like, you know, for example, like eight, nine months. Um, and so that's, that, that is extremely hard, you know, in terms of cost. So I think that like very few people understand that even to bootstrap something that actually makes sense. And that doesn't even cover marketing and other things, right? That's just like the bare minimum to kind of like get something high quality out. And so, yeah, definitely I do think that there is going to be a need for kind of like a lot of expectation, uh, management and, and adjustment, um, and, you know, I'm the first one, I don't know if you've noticed, like sometimes like in the Discord, I'm essentially telling people who like make kind of comments and sometimes constructive, sometimes non-constructive. And my best advice is essentially go do it. Like nothing prevents you from doing it. I think that like everyone should, if they feel like they have the right kind of like insight on community building and what makes sense from an like, art perspective and what do people want, essentially go ahead and build it. This is the right time, right? Like this is a world where uh, you can post, you know, for the first time your thing out there and just directly connects to your uh, to your customers, quote unquote, and, and users. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very excited about, you know, the, the perspective of just like people starting to like understand a bit more about it. Uh, right now, I feel like I'm talking to just a, a zillion, like extremely uh, experienced, uh, you know, business people, like on a daily basis, who've been like advisors to like Uber and, and Yelp and, and etc. Um, and sometimes all other people just like really realize what it what it takes, because they've done it once, or they talk to someone, and they've seen the journey that it takes to kind of like build uh, a bit a business from scratch and, and 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 building art and in general the people who actually make art themselves just understand what it takes like if you if you went on blender you understand the amount of work that went into the the you know the the, the collection as you were kind of pointing out earlier so yeah no i do think that there is going to be a massive need for um expectation management unfortunately we're not there because we're still like in a dynamic of you know a lot of people trying to kind of get the extra profit and the extra kind of both on the collector side, but also on, um, you know, projects that don't have kind of like the mindset of building a business out of it, um, which is fine. Just be upfront about things, you know, like we were upfront about the fact, like it is always going to be a side project, but you have to be honest about things, right? Like transparency, honesty is people will value that over everything else in the end. For sure. And like, I mean, I, when I was newer to the space, like Rebels was my first like serious NFT project I jumped into, right? That wasn't just, I had done a couple flips and made some money, 
because the space was still great. <laughs> and then I really liked the art and a friend of mine showed me Rebels and I got into it like right when Mint was happening. And, you know, I got really connected with the Samurai. I love the Samurai and Samurai Gang Twitter. Is, it's all me. I made that. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I said, I'm going to make these patches. It'll be cool. And it took me like a few hours to make the patches, like four or five hours of work making the patches. Because like I said, I'm not a great visual artist. I had to like learn how to use an app to make it. And then I had to figure out, okay, how do I get this on? Like, what's the best way to launch this? And I wanted to give away 20 of them. And then like I did, and then it cost me like 110 bucks US to airdrop 20, just 20 to somebody. So when people are talking about 10,000 piece collections airdropping, they don't realize there's just, just the gas cost alone is like thousands of dollars, right? So it's it, there's there's cost behind all these things is my point. Deploying the contracts, like uploading the, the images, like maintaining the images, for example, like itself is just like an immense cost when you have like every single one of them that is like, you know, 30 megs, you know, like you're, you're asking for resolution, but the, the counterpart of that is like holding them on like a server or like IPFS is just like immensely costly. Right. So there is a, there's just like so much that, that, uh, people need to, to, to realize. I don't, I don't even believe that like right now, the royalties, like the ongoing royalties cover the cost of just hosting the images. That's kind of like how expensive that is. And so People need to kind of adjust, you know, the, the, the expectations for sure. And like I said, I experienced that on a very, very small level, but like I got excited. I tweeted it out there. Let's get a contest. Let's, let's airdrop these to people. And I didn't even think about like, oh shit, this is no longer a free fun thing I'm doing. That's only costing my time. It's actually costing me money to, to send it to these people. And I'm in Canada. So 110 bucks US is like 150 bucks here. Right. Which is like, not a, it's not a lot of money, but it's not five bucks. Right. Like it's, yeah, no. and you start doing that on a larger scale and you see how that's like, $10,000, $20,000 just to drop something, not creating it, just the actual cost to put it in people's wallets, right? Like people don't understand that sometimes. Um, and yeah, like, and I've learned obviously a ton about the space in that, in this time. And, and, uh, and, uh, you know, but that was just something that early on I was like, Oh, you know, I shouldn't have got so excited, but it was still a fun experience. I'm happy I did it. And, you know, it's the same as like this podcast. This is more time than people realize, like whoever's listening to this, this is like an hour and 20 minutes conversation, which we'll wrap up soon. I appreciate the time, sir. Um, but, you know, it's an hour and 20 minutes of your day to listen, but it's five or six hours by the time I'm done with everything, putting this together, yeah. right? And making the YouTube video, putting it on all the platforms and, and doing the art for it and all that stuff. Like, And I love it and I'm going to do it. It doesn't bring me any money and maybe one day it will, maybe one day it won't. I don't care. I enjoy doing this. Um, but people need to realize like everything takes time and, and you know, time is money for folks. Like I'm a married guy with a kid and a full-time job. Like exactly. six hours out of my week is a lot, right? So um, we got to appreciate, support the people who are putting you know this work in and, and it's not just saying support financially, but support them in understanding, giving that understanding that, hey, this takes time. There's more going on in your life than just this. Um, and it takes money, right? Um, is the other side. Yeah, no, for sure. Fully agree. And I think that like it even comes down to communications, for example, like if you think about Rebels specifically, I think that like a lot of people are like, yeah, we need more communications, etc. But I'm like, yeah, but I'm doing other th like if I'm so first and foremost, I have my, my, my main job, like it's like pure volunteering on the project. The other thing is, that is interesting is, um, you know, if I'm answering to people on Discord, this is like time that I'm not, you know, either writing code or like trying to find like the, the right partnership for this set of things that we're, we're, we're building. Um, and so there is kind of like a trade-off in everything. Like if I'm discord, that means that like I'm not on Twitter, potentially kind of like looking at things and, and retweeting. And so what I would prefer, for example, from, from people is, is just how can I help? Like, you know, I actually, there are people, multiple people in the community who have 
access to the Twitter and I can actually, you know, retweet things because like they know that I don't have the time and they are trusted parties. And so really helping kind of like take ownership of something that, you know, take times and 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 it doesn't like bring like anything financially is something that like everyone like should feel responsibility because they have ownership in the thing right like they have ownership in 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 the outcome of the project so yeah i'm i'm that that is a that is something that i really connect with and and then you know it's a craft you know and you have to kind of at some point i think that like i don't know if you saw like zach xbt just like announced that uh he's gonna stop taking um, you know, people's request because people would just expect him to work for free. And like, I know Zach really well. Um, uh, I guess like I can call him a friend at this point. Um, and so the, 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 you know, whenever we chat, this is just, you know, mind boggling because like people keep asking things from me, uh, far from him. And like, we have conversations about, you know, like the fact that we both know how valuable his time is. Like I know exactly how much, you know, like a pretty top tier, like investigator costs in general, uh, just like, you know, whether that's like in digital systems. Um, and it's going to be essentially kind of like people who come whenever there is an incident, like a major hack, and then they're going to like look around and trying to track essentially what went wrong. It's not called like a PI. It's not like a private investigator, but it is someone who's going to kind of like, you know, find the threads and, and follow them in a uh, like a digital environment. And that costs a lot of money. And like they, they, their rate is extremely high for, you know, the best the best ones. Like if you look at like Mendiant and CrowdStrike and others, obviously those are just gigantic companies that help with incident response. And I don't understand that like people, you know, to this day don't understand that it just costs a lot of money. They expect him to work for free and that is not sustainable. Web3 doesn't mean that like you're working for others for free. It is just a way to remove intermediates between the creator or like the business and their users, right? Uh, in a way that is a, a lot more fair. And so it, there is like, a, there are like a lot of mis misconceptions that I'm eager to have, you know, removed like at the end, at the end of the day, like, you know, for example, for, for rebels, you know, never said that like anything would be free. And then everyone, like a, a bunch of people are just like, well, I'm not receiving a patch for free. And I'm like, no, we never said that. And it's like, but it's Web3. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is, uh, this is not uh, like Web3 is not like a web volunteering, you know, it's, uh, and so, yeah, no, I'm, uh, I think they misheard. <laughs> they heard Web3 and they heard, they thought it was Web3. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the problem. Exactly. Um, but I mean, like, I think the easiest example is, you know, I have a family member, he's an electrician. Would I say, come to my house and, and wire my whole basement for free? Like, would I expect that from them, even as a family member? No. Like, I don't think anyone would, right? Like, so it's like people are putting in the hours, they're putting in the work. Um, and yeah, it's not web free. Like it is, you know, it is, it's, it's great to take away these barriers and it's, I, I'm having access to you through rebels is amazing. I don't think I would have been able to meet you otherwise. Um, you know, and, and I'm thankful for that, but this, this is great. I think this is going to bring value, um, to both. It has brought value to me today and both to anyone who listens to this. I think you had a, really, a lot of great insightful things to say. You broke down some things that maybe the average person like me doesn't understand when it came to the ERC 4337, um, and just kind of break breaking down a bit what it means to own a project um, and what's involved. 
And uh, yeah, I think that I, I just want to end on that note is it's, it's not web free, right? Like it's like, this is people's time. It's their work. It's their, it's their expertise. It's their skills. Um, you know, and this is, we have to actually support people that are doing this work in this space. Right. Um, and then, like I said, even if it comes down to just supporting them by giving them the space to do what they're doing. Right. I think constantly hounding people for updates uh, or, you know, saying that, you know, this, this project's over or whatever, because there's not something releasing every five minutes. Um, that's not usually going to be a, an indicator of a great project either. Cause if you're releasing something every month, what you're releasing is probably not that high quality, right. Or bringing any value whatsoever. Right. So, um, so I appreciate everything you've done. I appreciate you've always been open and supportive to us as the community. Um, even early on, you know, um, when I was, was saying, hey, I want to start a sub-community. And you were like, great, I'll support you. Like, let me know what it is. And, you know, I'll retweet it and I'll tell people about it. And, like, that's that's what the spirit of Web3 is, right? Um, it's just how can we help each other, not how can we take advantage of each other and then get angry <laughs> uh, when, you know, things are... Exactly. We're not having millions of dollars just showing up at our bank account overnight, right? So I think... No, exactly. And, and, you know, I will, as you mentioned, I will be the first ones to help push essentially, you know, anyone in the community starting something, you know, there was an angry penguin, you know, starting something um, at latent labs and, and trying to kind of like ideate around, you know, um, like startup to start and, and, and business to start, right. And I've spent quite a bit of time with him. They were in, in pushing, you know, like he was, he was building, um, you know, this AI kind of, uh, art competition platform and so you know try to help as much as i can and just like organize and just like giving night cards ourselves you know and just like nfts to kind of incentivize people to help you know use his platform um there are like other people you know as i mentioned kind of like very happy to to be on the podcast i'm also helping uh however i can uh wolf as well who's also starting a, a podcast and kind of like a set of twitter spaces um and you know like all those things are just you know, wherever I can help, I will always do that because like the goal is, you know, the, the wag me kind of like thing is pretty much that the idea is the goal is to just like help us push each other up kind of like all together. Um, people like help me for a lot of things. I'm trying to help other people for a lot of things. And at the end of the day, you know, we're in a space that is very small, that is about to kind of grow as, as we, you know, as we were saying, it's kind of like, it's kind of expansion, shrink, expansion, much bigger expansion, shrink, and, and so on, and rinse and repeat, um, which is, you know, the vast majority of the industries have worked like this. And so I do believe that there is going to be a lot of value in just, you know, bringing each other up, essentially, as part of this. Um, so very excited. I'm seeing, like, you know, people releasing collections on, you know, books that are based, you know, mystery novel NFT, which is... Uh, which is minting now is I'm very excited about it. Uh, so someone in, in in the community has essentially just written amazing books that are available uh, as as NFTs, um, and he's doing like reading sessions uh, fairly often. Super excited about that. You released you know things that I'm very excited for for you to read. Any additional thing? Um, everyone owns essentially the, you know, the brand at this point, like I really want people to, if some people want to sell, like, you know, clothes, please go ahead. If you want to sell NFTs, please go ahead. If you want to like have photography that is like associated to it, please go ahead. AR, AR art, podcast, anything very, very excited to, to push all these initiatives because like, yeah, as you mentioned, it is the, 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 the purpose of Web3.
Well, I think we'll we'll wrap on that. And uh, that was an awesome shout out to Dimensions Gate there, Ian. He's a Toronto boy. He's a couple hours away from me here. And actually, my samurai is the samurai uh, in Five Deadly Rebels. So uh, pretty hyped on on that. But uh, anyone listening, go check that collection. I'll probably throw the link in the bio. But he's doing amazing things and put a ton of work in. in uh, you know, I was on his launch uh, spaces there with Josh Ong from uh, the Bake Council. And uh, like hearing his passion for what he's doing and, and the work that he's poured into these books, um, it's really inspiring. And, you know, we, this is what we need to foster and support is people that are doing that, you know. Um, so thanks so much. Like I said, I always appreciate the support. You've been amazing since the beginning and the whole way through um, taking time out of your day to do this. Um, and we, you know, we, we even spent time together setting up the, the, the mic setup and everything beforehand. So I appreciate you getting that, uh, getting that all rigged up for me so that we get the best experience for the, the listeners. Um, and with that, I just want to say thanks so much, man. I hope you have a great day and uh, hope it's not too uh, gloomy or snowy wherever you are. No, it is actually a beautiful day. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it again. And uh, I'm excited for the next one, hopefully. <laughs>